A science story, huh? Is NYU scientist a And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Rowena Fletcher Wood. The story was recorded in November 2013 at the Star of Kings in London. The evening was part of the Spot on London conference. Uh, My story starts when I was 18 years old. When I was 18, um, I was in school, and I absolutely loved school. I was a massive geek. I loved work. I was always terrified that I would run out of work to do, and I actually (laughs) had a little stock of of extra work to take to my lessons in case there wasn't enough work and I did run out. (laughs) And this all came to a head when, in um, 2006, I interviewed to read chemistry at Somerville College, Oxford. This is the college where Margaret Thatcher read chemistry. Um, and Dorothy Hodgkin, who was the first female Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. Um, And I'd heard of Margaret Thatcher. Um, (laughs) Dorothy Hodgkin, um, well, not so much so, but to explain about her, I'll tell you first about how supportive all my friends and family were of my application. And they were desperate to make sure that I was as prepared as I could be for those interviews and also determined that they would be personally responsible for making me prepared. Not one of them was a chemist, um, but they were undaunted by this. Um, and so for a start, my uncle tells me that I need to read lots and lots of newspapers because at Oxford they were going to expect me to read newspapers regularly. And for chemistry, yes. Um, And one of my friends thinks that what I need to know about is the history of science, and that if I don't know about this, they'll be very surprised. So I'm swatting up on um, what's currently in the news. That's the Pope's funeral and polonium poisoning. Um, And also reading about the discovery of oxygen and controversy over who really discovered oxygen. And my maths teacher comes up to me, brings me this heavy tome of a book, puts it into my hands and says that I'm going to have to know all about Somerville College if I'm applying there. And this is Dorothy Hodgkin's biography. So I dutifully open it and I start reading about her. And Dorothy Hodgkin is an X-ray crystallographer. At this point, I've never heard of X-ray crystallography and I'm reading the book and I'm learning more and more about the technique. And as I do so, I think that X-ray crystallography must be the most boring area of science ever. (laughs) The basic principle is that you take an electron beam and you fire it at a crystalline substance. The repeating pattern of atoms in space causes that um, X-ray beam, the electron beam, to scatter, which is then detected. And you use mathematical transformations to start guessing at the structure And with a very complex structure, you can guess and guess and guess and guess and still get it wrong. And for Dorothy Hodgkin, most of her work involved staring at little white dots on black photographic paper. 
and trying to guess the exact placement of water molecules in really big structures like vitamin B12, insulin and penicillin. And I decided that this was not for me. And I had been quite sure that I'd wanted to study chemistry. But reading about X-ray crystallography, I began to feel this sort of twitching sense of doubt that I had picked the right degree subject. And at this point, it's too late because my interviews are already scheduled. So one evening in December, I turn up at Somerville College. It's dark and it's raining heavily, which is obviously a great omen. But I'm immediately <laughs> met by the interview helpers uh, who... who uh, are running the Somerville College interviews, and these amazing people put me at ease straight away, and they take me to the bar that night, which was good, and then to my interviews <laughs> the next day. And when I go into my interviews, all those people that knew exactly what they're going to be like and what I needed to do to prepare were wrong. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is strange, because... This was not what I was expecting. In one of my interviews, the interviewer got this structural model down from his shelf and put it into my hands and asked me to talk about it. So I look at the model, turn it around, and I say, well, it's kind of hexagonal, and oh, this one, to compare, this one is very square. <laughs> Somehow, miraculously, ten months later, I find myself in a tutorial room in Somerville College starting this degree in chemistry. And luckily, the Dorothy Hodgkin book was not really a very good reflection on a degree in chemistry. And I, I did love chemistry and even crystallography, which uh, really wasn't the most popular of subjects. The lecture attendance dropped and dropped, but the tutorials were really good. They were uh, informative and inspiring and filled with those moments where suddenly the fog around you clears and everything becomes crystal. <laughs> So Oxford was exactly where I'd hoped it would be, and I threw myself into college life. I joined and ran for the committees for lots of clubs and societies, and I joined the interview team, um, helping run the interviews the following year, where I met an interesting variety of characters, uh, including one young man named Guy, who decided that he would befriend me. And he affected this by getting me on my own and energetically telling me the story of his about a zombie invasion of Somerville College. Uh, I was quite stunned, obviously, by the story, but I, I must have given him the impression that I accepted his offer of friendship. <laughs> because after that, he used to turn up at my room unexpectedly, uh, stride around it, talking to me for half an hour or so, uh, perhaps administer a last-minute invitation to a ball or a party, and then disappear again just as suddenly. On one occasion, though, he did save me from a certain situation where my lab partner and I had decided to be really ambitious and get our third-year labs finished early in our second year. <laughs> so we, we thought about this, and we went through the list of labs, and we picked the ones that had the most points. We could do the fewest labs and get done sooner. And obviously the ones with the most points turned out to be the really, really hard ones <laughs> on material we hadn't even covered yet. So there I am, sitting in my room, 
staring down at this lab work that I, I have to hand in. I don't know what it's talking about. I, I have no idea how to answer the questions. And suddenly there's a knock on my window and, and Guy's there and, and he sort of mouths and gestures and somehow manages to persuade me that I should just stop doing the work and go to the pub instead. As that's the kind of uh, guy he is. <laughs> um, I handed that lab work in incomplete, but... We had slightly better luck with the next third-year lab we attempted, which was on X-ray crystallography. So my lab partner and I go bouncing down to this single crystal X-ray diffraction lab, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and the researchers who are running this lab take a look at us and decide that they're going to sit us down and talk us through the theory before we get started. And it was actually quite straightforward. It was just completely new. And it was almost like art and maths rolled into one. You had a, a new perspective and a new angle for, for looking at things. Um, and it clicked. Uh, somehow I just got it. And then they let us uh, run our own diffraction, which is not actually an easy thing at all. It involves getting what looks like a powder, in our case a black powder, and mixing it in some oil then looking at it through a microscope whilst at the same time trying to pick it up with a really tiny piece of wire and get one crystal right on the end of your piece of wire. Well, eventually we did this. It did take a while, but we did it. And we put it onto the machine to run. And the scans take a little while, usually about half an hour or so, um, longer if you want more detailed data. And whilst our scan was running, we did uh, an online tutorial on the subject, and we managed to finish our lab right up. <laughs> So by the time it was finished, we could walk away from that lab, no work to take home at all, completely wipe our hands of X-ray crystallography for a while. Because then it came to my third year. And in my third year, I had to pick the research project that I was going to be doing for my fourth year. I didn't have a clue. I spent some time completely at sea because I wanted to do something which was really, really exciting. And I had no idea what was going to keep me excited for eight months. <laughs> and then I thought of the X-ray crystallography lab and I thought the tutorials. And I thought, yes, yes, I can do this. But then I thought of Dorothy Hodgkin. Oh, dear. If I'm not careful, I'm going to end up as an X-ray crystallographer. And it could be fun now, but how fun is it going to be in a few years' time when I'm spending my life looking for missing water molecules? So I decided that I, ha I had a cleverer plan, and I applied to a lab group where they would make stuff first and then analyse it with X-ray crystallography so I'd get the best of both worlds. Um, I was pretty pleased with this, but some of the other chemists disagreed with me, and they thought that the group that I had applied to join was one of the slackers groups. And you can imagine how much that worried me. <laughs> I might not be enough work. <laughs> so I went to spend some time with Guy, who had successfully distracted me from work before. And uh, we sat down with a, a box of wine and a film, and uh, a little while into the evening, <laughs> he made the spontaneous decision to kiss me. And... This was unlike any other kiss 
that I've ever experienced. And I, I just suddenly found myself magnetised towards him. I, I couldn't leave him alone. Um, I, I've got to the stage where I, I broke into his house when he wouldn't wake up to answer the door. Um, <laughs> obviously, this was distraction enough. And I, I spiralled into my fourth year completely unconcerned at my fate at the hands of X-ray crystallography. <laughs> a few months into my fourth year, we decided to go on this picnic date. And although we'd fast-tracked all the usual relationship hurdles, like falling in love and moving in together, it was still quite early on in the relationship. And I remember feeling, at the time, anxious, concerned that, you know, what if this date didn't work out? And I really wanted stuff to go well with this boy. And over-concerned, over over-worried about everything. And of course, of course, I shouldn't have worried about that at all. Uh, we had a great time. We got strawberries and dipped them in chocolate sauce. We drank Buck's Fizz. And then evening drawing on, lazing each other's arms, the guy turns to me and, out of the blue, asks me to marry him. And I was a little bit shocked, and it seems ridiculous thinking about it now, but at the time I said, are you serious? <laughs> uh, he hadn't planned to propose. In fact, he hadn't known it was going to happen until it fell out of his mouth. But ever spontaneous, now he had made his decision, he was determined that that was the right decision, and he was going to stick by it. So he, he sort of barked um, on this explanation of why he had proposed, and I cut him short and said Yes. So, as soon as he could, Guy took me ring shopping. And I was very overwhelmed by the idea of a diamond ring and that this is something that he wanted to buy for me. And even just thinking about being given a diamond ring made me feel a bit faint. I had no idea how to explain to him how much that, that meant to me as, as a gift, as a token. Um, we went to this one jewel shop and the, the jeweller sat us down and explained about the different colours and qualities of diamonds and how that would relate to the cost. And I asked about qualities. What are qualities of diamonds? And the jeweller said that the lower quality diamonds have little defects in the crystal structure. <laughs> <laughs> you can see where I'm going with this. And um, I immediately said that I really wanted to have a diamond with defects in it. <laughs> much to the jeweller's surprise and Guy's amusement, as I already had a plan. And once I got the ring and went back to work, I went scampering down to the single crystal X-ray diffraction lab, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, just like before, and I asked them if I could put my engagement ring in an X-ray diffractometer. <laughs> so you'd normally put quite small crystals in an X-ray diffractometer, but there's no reason that you can't put a bigger one in if it's a whole crystal. And the researchers looked at me and they said, very carefully, that all the damage I was going to cause this machine <laughs> <laughs> if instead of hitting the diamond, it hit the metal band. And then they got some red tack and they helped me fit my ring into one of their brand new machines and very carefully align it with the X-ray beam and we switched the beam on. And the ring began to rotate. And the beam hit the stone 
and diffracted. And then very slowly, this simple and yet slightly frayed-looking because of the defects, diffraction pattern started to appear on the computer screen. And the, the beauty of this pattern is, is unlike the beauty of the sparkling stone because it shows you what is beyond what the eye can see. And it tells you the inside knowledge of the structure, of, of the pattern that makes the, the stone look as beautiful as it does. And a few people did question whether I didn't actually trust Guy to get me a real diamond <laughs> and was checking up on him. But <laughs> if I had thought that it, it might not be what I thought it was, and I wouldn't have wanted to map out this intrinsic beauty. So I did once wonder what Dorothy Hodgkin saw in X-ray crystallography, but here now I had the pattern that showed me. That was Rowena Fletcher Wood. Rowena is a keen science communicator and doctoral researcher in materials chemistry at the University of Birmingham. She graduated from Oxford in 2011 and has since divided her time between research, outreach, story writing, and climbing. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you're able, please consider donating at storycollider.org donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Star of Kings for hosting the show, to Laura Wheeler for tremendous help, and to Defects for being sparkly. Thanks for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.